Hello, everybody online. Thank you for joining us. And if you're a visitor online or first time today, you're so, so welcome. And uh, we've been talking uh, at the beginning of the year on, on a focus for our year, which is about community. We're the, we are the community of God. We're God's people. It's not a building. It's not a service whilst we're meeting in a building and enjoying a service together. But we are a family. We're a community. We belong to God. And because we belong to God, we belong to one another. And we're exploring that. And we're also exploring what it is to be um, involved in a mission of following Jesus' purposes. We've been singing about it. Put a fire in me and let it be known and his love and who he is in all the earth that everybody on the planet may have the opportunity of discovering the fantastic joy that we have of encountering Jesus and knowing him in our lives. And we're also talking about miracles. And um, for those of who've been on this uh, uh, journey with us over this beginning of the year, we know that miracles belong in mission. The miracles belong in mission. Because when Jesus was on his mission, he had words and he loved and he performed miracles and he invites us to do what he's done. So we're exploring that. But today, I want to go back and look at community. So as we look at, I want to look at an aspect of community, which is basically all that we've been singing and talking about this morning, is expressing God's love through us to others. Um, from the book of Acts, chapter 2, which is, gives us a kind of blueprint or a template what the New Testament community, the New Testament people of God look like, that we can say, well, let's see if how, how close to that we can get. So here we go. It's on the screen. Acts chapter 2. This is what they did, and this is what we're invited to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs, those are the miracles, performed by the apostles. And this is the verse I want to focus on, which is an astonishing verse, actually, when you think about it. All the believers were together and have everything in common. That's where you get the word community from. The root word community comes from common. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another, whoever had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So right in the middle of this little passage of Scripture talks about what the New Testament community looked like and felt like and acted like. We get bang in the middle uh, this verse, all the believers had everything in common. They sold property and possession and gave to everyone who had a need. Now, this is a remarkable verse because you know and I know that <clears throat> this is not normal. <laughs> Let's face it, this is not normal. I mean, this is, this is very unusual. This is, this is counter-human nature. And the reason why it's not normal is because something had happened to them. They had been filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, in a few days, the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill you. And you will be my, my, my witnesses, not just in the things that you say, but in the life that you live. In other words, to be a witness is to, is to represent somebody or to speak of or act of what you've known so you're going to begin to represent me 
Not just in the way that you speak, but in the way that you live. And in order to do that, something really unusual had to happen. The Holy Spirit had to come and fundamentally change what we're like on the inside so that we begin to live and act and love like Jesus. So a few days later, we see after they received the Holy Spirit, these believers were acting in a totally unusual way for humankind and human beings. They weren't doing what normal human beings do. They were saying, do you know what? Everything I am and all that I have doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to God. So when it says they have everything in common, there was an attitude shift. It doesn't mean that, hey, everybody rock up to my place and take my fridge home if you want it. Take my car home if you want it. Take my kids home if you want them. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. But it, what it means, an attitude of heart where we're saying, even though I may possess stuff, now I am a steward of it, not an owner of it. Even though I may have some material blessings and may have some, some things in my life to eat and drink and a shelter to live in and clothing and maybe a sofa to sit on and a coat to wear and bread in my cupboard, even though I've got that, maybe I have some savings, they called them fields, and maybe I have some savings. Actually, you've, I, 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 it's, I have it to steward, but it, I don't consider in my heart it belongs to me. It actually belongs to, the, to God. And so it's available to him to distribute through me at any given time in any given way. And this is a fundamental aftershoot shift. And this is the privilege that every single follower of Christ can have to adopt because it is amazingly liberating. Amazing, freeing. Because first of all, it says, actually, everything I have for my life comes from you, so I don't really need to worry about it, past, future, or present. Because you are my father, and you are the giver of everything I need. But you haven't given it just for me to hoard. It's not just for me. Actually, it's to be a conduit of help and support and blessing for everybody else. It's, a, it's, a, it's another tool for me to express the love of Christ. And the world doesn't live like this. Can you imagine what it would be like if every single, on the, every single planet on the planet, every single person on the planet had and adopted this attitude? Imagine every single person in the financial system adopted that attitude. Every banker, <laughs> every investment person, every mortgage dealer. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Every wealthy person and every impoverished person. Every... <laughs> landowner who produces crops and harvests and wheat and grain. Can you imagine if every single entrepreneur and person who wasn't empowered to be an entrepreneur, but in the little that they have adopted that attitude, there would be enough. There would be enough for every single person and every single child on the planet. We would live in a total different world. And one day that, can I just say, one day that will happen because Jesus will return and everybody who follows Christ will be in that kingdom when he returns. And that will be how the kingdom of God is, that's how the government of God is outworked on earth through Christ and through his people. So one day, that's what we're looking forward to. But in the meantime, 
the people of God who are followers of Christ had the incredible privilege of modeling that and working it out and learning how to live as kingdom people, part of the community of God. And it's absolutely an amazing thing. And I've had the privilege with Sarah now of leading this church for over, you know, well, you're the leader now, Sarah, but, you know, we founded it together, didn't we? But over 30 years, and it's humbling to see as we watch people whose lives have transformed to something that is unnatural to the human soul, which we tend to keep and hoard and possess in its mind, have an attitude of heart where it's distributed to people as, as needed appropriately. It's, I've seen, it's, it's just wonderful to see how pe- God's people have served one another and expressed love. It's, it's, been a, so it's been humbling to receive that from time to time. I remember, I might have shared this story, when Sarah and I were first in ministry, we were, we were living by faith. We, we didn't have an income and we just had to pray and trust that God would give us something. We didn't even have a car and I was doing school assemblies all over Cardiff, so I was living all over Cardiff. So I had to get these school assemblies early in the morning and we were working for churches all over the nation and helping them and doing mission all over the place uh, as evangelism. And um, when we were started, I actually didn't have a car. We didn't have a money for a car. And I never told anybody that I needed a car just to get to the school in the morning to do, speak to the kids about Jesus. I never told anybody. The only person to know who was my, was my boss, but I've made it a happen, habit not to communicate, you know, if there's a need or even hint, you know, because it's, it's not a healthy thing to do, is it? You know, so, so I've made that habit not to do that. So I didn't tell anybody. Then I had a phone call out of the blue. Do you remember this? I had a phone call out of the blue from a man I never even met. I don't even know how he got my number. But he says, uh, Julian, it's, I can't remember his, I can't even remember his name. I mean, this is, how, this is how not normal this is. And he said, oh, uh, my name's so, so I can't remember. Uh, he said, I've heard you, I heard you need a car f- to perform, you know, y- your ministry and what God's called you to do. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, that's right. And he said, well, my wife, I've just bought, my wife and I have just bought a car for my wife. I have a car, I've just bought a, a new car for my wife. Um, so we'd like to loan it to you until you get another one as long as you need it. I mean, I'm presuming his wife knew about this. <laughs> she was okay with it. Well, I knew she was because they turned up together and they were both really happy. They were just so happy to help. So they turned up at our house. It was a early one morning. Do you remember it? And there was a, it, was a, it was a mini clubman. And what surprised me is when he says a new car, it wasn't like a second-hand car. It's a brand-new car. So I opened the door and sat and he said, it had 24 miles on the clock. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. Yes, exactly. That. The thing is, Rachel, who does that? Seriously, who does that? I tell you who does that. People whose lives has been transformed to be like Jesus. That's who does that. That's the type of people. And it's quite honestly, it's humbling and inspiring. It's humbling because you think, oh my Lord, what amazing people these are. I wish I was like that. And it's inspiring to say, I want to be like that. Do you remember, did any of you watch, did any of you watch 
the mole, the horse, and the fox on Christmas Day, the, the cartoon. And I think it was the horse, was it, who asked the little boy in the story, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was expecting to say a fireman or a, a train driver. And he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be kind. Bingo. I want to be kind. Here we see in this community the kindness and the generosity and the self-sacrificing love of Jesus being worked out through to, for the benefit of others. And it comes from this attitude fundamentally where it says, so I want to explain this a little bit so we don't get hung up with it in our brains and our minds and get, or, or, well, what does that mean? Do I all have to live in a, a commune and give the rights of my title deeds and my house away? I want to explain it. It's an attitude of heart. So I've just come back from a conference. The, the leadership have just come back from a conference, a Piney Leaders Conference. And in the first session, there was a tremendous touch of the Holy Spirit. And we were... We, I'll get there. We were invited in the course of the evening, those of you remember, to, to just keep bringing our lives to Jesus again and again and place it on, the, on his altar, sacrifice our lives to him. So there we are, I was at the back, at the seats there, just praying. And, I can, and I, I've done this many, 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 many times. I do it regularly over the, life, over, over the course of my life. And I'm sure you do as well, just to keep your hearts in check. So I just began to do make sure my attitude was mirroring Christ and trying to mirror this. So I went through the list again. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my ministry. I give you my wife. I give you my children. All the things that I love, all the things that are precious to me, all the things that I don't want to let go of. I give you Josiah, my little grandson. <laughs> Go through the list. I give you the church. I give you my ministry. I give you New Wine Cymru, giving it all. I give you every possession you give me, my home. So my car keys, I give you my car keys. Not the car keys, that's okay. I give you the car. It's all yours. It's not mine, it's yours. Any savings for our older age, I give you those. Everything, everything, everything. I give you everything. So I just went through all of the things. All I was trying to think of everything that I possess. My hopes, my dreams, my health, my future. Everything I give you. It's all yours, Lord. To do with whatever you want to direct, to put your finger on it. Whatever you want, I give it to you again and again and again. And this is, and I have to do that regularly <laughs> because I know how easy it is to possess rather than bless. And this is, this is what they were not just confessing, but this is what they were living. And it was a beautiful thing. And it was what it was to be the community of God's people. The Greek word to have all things, actually says, it says all believers were together, everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and given to anybody who had a need. The, the Greek word there for all people or, um, uh, and everything is hapas. It means absolutely all. So the group, absolutely everybody in the group lived like this. 
all the group lived like this. And it's also a singular word in the Greek. It means everyone individually and everybody. So it was, it was an invite and an opportunity and a privilege for everybody to embrace this individual expression of Christ, but this communal expression of what it is to be followers of Christ, the community of Jesus' people. And, they, and what it speaks of is this joint ownership of the church and Christ and one another and the responsibility to meet the needs of the church. And there were three broad categories, if you look through the New Testament, that they responded to. The poor. The poor. And I, I want to just say that, again, it's so humbling. We put that sign up there, you know, food bank. And then we put it up for the, you know, the Syrian and Turkish earthquake. And to see and the church responding and giving, not just now and again, but week after week after week after week, and parcel after parcel, and food after food, and gift after gift, through COVID, year after year, going into the community. People will never meet. <laughs> and we may never lock eyes with and to see the response. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful, joyful thing. It's a beauty on earth that is actually seen in heaven first and in Jesus first. And uh, to grow in it is, is a privilege. So that the poor, the poor amongst us and the poor beyond us. Outreach. Paul and the apostles, they were sent out to preach and proclaim and advance Jesus as we all are. And so there is this commitment to resource the ministry of Jesus to others who are not part of the community yet, that they may find Christ and know him for themselves. And Paul would often write his letters, thank you for your gifts, thank you for your resources that you've sent. I am amply catered for. And he would write back to the churches that are supporting. And so there's this commitment to the ministries of Jesus. Again, not the poor, but the advancement of Jesus and his kingdom and his message beyond our walls. And then there's the internal ministries. It says, speaks of uh, the preachers or the teachers or the elders. Um, and I can say this because I'm not on eldership <laughs> of the church here. So I, you know, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, it talks about, well, if they're working full-time, then they've got to have something to eat. And, you know, Tesco's aren't going to pay your salary. <laughs> you know, but we do. And whilst they didn't have New Testament churches, at, uh, or build, they didn't have buildings in the New Testament. If they did have buildings, because that was later on in church history, they probably, they, they would have applied to the fabric of the buildings where people worked out of for the church, like what we've got here. And in the Old Testament, we see that the community of God's people gave to support the priesthood and the temple and the tabernacles and the fabric of it, because it's got to come from somewhere. And so, this is the way it operated. So, they, they said they sold their possessions. Now, what does that mean? Now, in the, Old Test, in the New Testament times, uh, they didn't have banks, they didn't have pension schemes, they didn't have ISAs and savings schemes, they didn't have those type of things that we have in a modern world. So what they did, the equivalent of their banks was their possessions and properties. 
sometimes they would buy uh, a treasure, and that would be like where they're investing their money because there weren't banking systems like we had today. Or they would buy a field, and that would be where they stored up for a rainy day or what have you, or where they placed their income. Jesus illustrated this a number of times. So, for example, a familiar passage. Again, the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for, and for joy over, over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, why was there treasure in the field? Who would ever put their treasure in a bank? put your treasure in a bank, wouldn't you? Well, they didn't have banks in the same way that we did. So what people would do, people would buy a field and they bury it where nobody could find it. But sometimes if an invading army came in, the people would have to run so quickly they didn't have time to go and get their treasure. And they might have been gone. And then somebody one day, maybe years, 50 years, 100 years, walking along, having a picnic, and their little kids building a bucket and spade or something, and they say, oh, Daddy, look what I found. You know, treasure. And they go, oh, put it back quickly. <laughs> and they go and buy the field, because if they had the field, they had the treasure. Because basically, it, it's like somebody giving you access to their bank account. Does that make sense? Am I communicating? So that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. So we put it in bank accounts and savings, but they put it in fields and treasure. The other one is the... Oh, there's a... I, let me give you a little illustration. I have a treasure. I must be careful I don't speak too long. I have a treasure. I found a field once where there was a treasure that I really want wanted to buy that field about a mile from where we first started our church in, the, in Penland building. I was looking on an ordnance survey map and noticed something called David's Well. And I wondered what that is in a field, farmer's field. And I looked up the history of it. And it was a, a well where St. David, the patron saint of Wales, who preached the gospel and brought, it says he seeded Wales with miracles and He's our founding evangelistic father, that brought, one who brought Christianity to our nation. It's, he, he actually founded a discipleship community there. And it started, as they often did, by a well. He, start, he, he unblocked a well from the ground. And then a little community brought up. And it says historically that people would travel to that well. They pilgrimage there to be healed. And when I read that in history, I said, I want that field. I would love that field, to own that field, not because of the field, but to, to have that well. So I did my own pilgrimage there, and I went to the well, and I drank from it, and I prayed, Lord, may your gospel go across this nation, and may healings come across this nation, just like our forefathers, the Celtic saints brought it. Could we do the same? So I found a field, but I haven't bought it. <laughs> But what a wonderful thing. So I get, I get this, and I'm sure you do as well. So what can we learn from this passage about being the community of God's people? Well, belonging to church involves the privilege of modeling Christ's love. And in a sense, there is a, a responsibility that we take for one another because we are really family. We are family. And families do take responsibility for one another. And part of that responsibility is meeting the financial and material and practical needs of the group. 
the local church. Everyone had the privilege and the joy of beginning to, to be like Jesus in that. And it involved giving to the poor, resourcing the evangelistic outreach, the practical upkeeps, upkeep of the local church. And of course, in today's world, it also would include the fabric, the physical fabric of a church. And it's great to volunteer. Oh gosh, it's amazing. It's a, I mean, it's, that's a starting place to volunteer. But volunteerism doesn't always pay the heating bills, does it? Or some of the practical things. So we, we volunteer and we say, do I have, well, I don't have a field, <laughs> but, do, but I do have a, a, a financial resource of some measure to be able to help the poor, the outreach, and the practical things of being and running a local church. And 99% of Bible-practicing churches on the planet, I would say, that's, a, that's an estimate, it's, you know, uh, believe in the principle of tithing. A tithe is a biblical word taken from the Old Testament scriptures that means a tenth. And we first find this concept of tithing in Genesis chapter 10, where Abraham, this was before the law of Moses, encountered what many people theologians would say was actually a what they call a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus. In other words, Jesus turns up like an angel would turn up before he was born to Mary as a human being, as a, as a manifestation. And he blessed Abraham. I'll give you the scriptures later on. And he, because of his blessing, out, as a result of that blessing, he gave a tenth of everything he possessed to this priest, this man called Melchizedek, who represented Jesus. And then Jacob, one of Abraham's ancestors, one of his grandkids down the line, um, when he was blessed by God, he says, if you'll be with me and watch over me and fulfill everything you said for me, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I have. And so they, he, they gave individually, individually. But then the community of God gave a tenth and the Moses Institute by law to sustain the priesthood and the material work of God, which included like the temple and that type of thing. So we see they gave before the law, but then it was instituted like a part of the community so that the temple and the practical needs of the spiritual side of the community could be catered for. And then Jesus instructed people to practice it. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, harsh words, I'm afraid. For you, you tie the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weighty matters of the law of justice and faithfulness. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's basically saying, don't neglect tithing, but also you just need to make sure that you do the right thing and you're fair and just in the way that you live. You know, you can't tithe and then just live an unjust life in your business community and exploit your, way, your workers or what have you and say, oh, it's all right, I tithe. No, we have to live right in and the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives, expressing who he is. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. In other words, pay your taxes and pay your tithes. 
You can't say, oh, I pay my tithes, so I don't have to pay my taxes. (laughs) Pay your taxes and pay your tithes. So there's this New Testament generosity that we see time and time again in the Bible. And uh, the Bible actually, the New Testament doesn't uh, mention the word tithe. This comes from the Old Testament. It doesn't mention the word tithe, but it talks about generosity a lot. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. You know, and it talks about this whole attitude of Christ as he has lavished his love upon us. Let's be like him practically one toward another because love is exceedingly practical. But Paul does talk about some principles about how we can be the community of God in terms of financially, materially. And here it is. In Corinthians, it says, Now, about the collection of the Lord's people, do what I've told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Save it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So what we see here is some principles of how we can steward our finances as a community. It says, now, each one. uh, It says, each one of you, On the first day, every week, each one. So everybody who's part of this community has the opportunity to give every week. Now, what we see, so he's talking about regularity there. It can be monthly, but it's a regular thing. They did it weekly, it can be monthly. And it says, set aside a sum of money. So we actually say, oh, actually, this is set aside. Before I, before I actually do anything with all of my expenditure, I've just got to make sure, I've got to, out of all that God's blessed me, I want to set aside so I'm able to resource something outside of what resources me alone. This, this self-giving. I said, well, how much? Well, I'm not going to tell you how much. But let it be in proportion to your income. And do it up, do it regularly so that there's, you know, saving it up, you know, because this was like for a collection thing. But, but basically it's saying, do it regularly so there's no shocks. <laughs> so if you can do it regularly and something happens, or I turn up suddenly, or there's a crisis, there's no shocks. There's nothing worse. Have you noticed this in your own budget? That it's always good to have to plan so that, oh my goodness, the tiles come off the roof. Oh, the, like we had it. Christmas one time, oh my goodness, the washing machine has broken down and flooded on Christmas Day. And then the day before Christmas, the oven broke. Oh, but if, you've, if you planned it, it's, you can respond to it. So um, regularly, everyone planned, wise, responsible, and proportion. Then coming to a close, the question we ask then is this, okay, um, who decides what percentage should be given? What, what is the proportion? Does the individual give a decide? Do the leadership decide? Do the congregation have a vote? Well, it's going to get, that's going to be complicated, isn't it? Because some people might decide, well, I'm going to give 1.5%, and other people say, well, I'm going to give you know, 0.5%. And, and it can have a disparity. And it's not necessarily fair. Who decides? Well, is there anything in Scripture, an objective thing in Scripture, that gives us a guide? 
And we're encouraged to look at Scripture for our wisdom. So it says all Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training and righteousness. Is there an objective wisdom in Scripture that can guide us as a community that it's not my decision? It's not the leadership's decision. It's not my decision as a giver. It's not a vote that can cause division. Is there something outside of ourselves that we're willing to give ourselves to that has a wisdom to guide us as a community? Well, it is. It says all of Scripture. So when we look at all of Scripture, whilst the Old Testament doesn't talk about tithing like as a, a touch, but it does talk about generosity, it does about, talk about giving regularly, it does talk about giving proportionally, it says, is there a proportional figure that we can give generously and regularly? And there is. And it's called this tithe, where Abraham, who was the father of our faith, gave a tithe of everything he knew. And he wasn't under law. He wasn't compelled to. He didn't have to. He wanted to. We're not under law. We don't have to. We choose to. So it says, Melchizedek, the singer of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That's why they think he's Jesus, you see, because he did that, didn't he? Uh, He was a priest of God, so is Jesus. And he blessed Abraham just like Jesus blesses us. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered you from his enemy. Then Abraham, or Abraham, gave a tenth of everything he known to this priest. Yeah? A man who was blessed by God, a godly man who was blessed by God, gave his 10% of everything. Jacob, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on my journey, and we're all on a journey, I, uh, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. There's a promise in this too, that if we give, we will provide. So then I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up will be God's house. And all that you give me, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Acknowledging everything comes from God. And then it was instituted under Moses for the provision of the storehouse or temple and the priesthood to get this, what we're enjoying, uh, done. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Almighty God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you'll not be able to contain it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines and fields and not a drop their fruit uh, will be gone before it's ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You see, there's this blessing again that was even to Abraham that we are benefits, beneficiaries of. For yours will be a delight to the lands, says the Almighty God. Okay, so we see this principle of the Old Testament, proportional giving, a tent. So I'd like to suggest to you, and as a leadership we'd like to suggest to you, that, uh, and encourage you to, to have the privilege of being like Christ in our, in our response to the community, individually and corporately, honouring God and giving to him first. In the context of tithe, there's first fruits. It's like, out of everything that God has given me, the first fruits... The firsts go to, to God. Well, how, what proportion of firsts? 10%. And I want to invite you to consider doing that 
Nobody has to do it to become a member of this church. If you go through membership, we'll make this very clear. You don't have to do it to become a member of the church. Absolutely don't. You're saved freely. You're part of the church freely. You're blessed freely. It's all free. It's an invitation. Don't have to. The only people who have to <laughs> are the leadership. Because here's the thing about leadership. If I don't tithe, Sarah doesn't tithe. Adam doesn't tithe. Leadership don't tithe. What right? What right do we have to ask you to do anything in obedience and in honor of Christ? If something so important and fundamental, something that caused me to want to hoard rather than bless, uh, we don't practice ourselves. So I want to reassure you that, you know, we tithe, not because we have to, but because we want to. Wanted for Lord, we want to be an example to you. But you don't have to become a member. But if you're going to have a leadership responsibility, not just in the financial aspect, but in every aspect of your life, we, we would encourage you and expect you, as you all would, to be becoming more like Christ and allowing your lives to be shaped by the wisdom of Scripture. Not the law of it, but the wisdom of it. So I want to invite you to consider tithing as a starting place. I want to invite you to consider becoming an Acts 2 community Jesus-centered person to act justly and not leaving the financial burden to the few but sharing it out that the wealthy give more proportionally so that the poor have to give less proportionally. That's kind of fair, isn't it? I want to invite you to model this community of Jesus-following believers. Tithing is efficient, it's fair, it's honorable to God and others. And actually, it results in a blessing. The first blessing is it changes our hearts. It sets us free. Let me say this, and I am going to finish. Um, you don't tithe according to your budget. It's an act of faith. You say, well, if I'm tithing 10%, will I be able to pay the bills over the course of lifetime? Will I be able to ever as we did, you know, when, when we first got married and we were on a pit, would we ever be able to own our own home or would we be ever be able to not have a car that we actually paid for <laughs> and we didn't have to borrow? Would that ever happen? Would we ever? Because, but, you, but you do it not because the budget works in the moment. You trust in the God who says, if you honor me, I'll honor you. And that's the first thing. It frees you from fear. And I tell you what, loving money is a crippling curse. But it'll free you from it as you go into the opposite spirit. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is perfectly just and perfectly fair. And I want to finish on this. Students, young people, can I just encourage you to learn to tithe before you, 
early on in your life? Because what can sometimes happen is, oh, I'll do it later. So I've, you know, I got my rent and I've got this and I've got that. And you live up to the max financially and you, and you think, I don't know how I ever would be able to give 10%. But if you start it now before you're earning, it becomes quite natural and it's in your budget. You don't actually miss it because it's part of your life. But if you leave it and you think, oh, now I've got kids and now I've got this and now I've got that, how can I afford ever to tithe? It's almost like an impossible thing in your mind to be able to do it. So I want to give a little word of advice to your students. Start early and you'll, it'll, just be, it'll just be so a natural part of your life. It'll be a joy and not a burden. If you're listening to this talk for the first time and you're thinking, oh, I really feel conflicted in this because I'd love to be able to do it and I can't, but it's the first time I've ever considered this. And looking at our budgets, I don't know how I could... I don't know how we'd pay the bills. Don't worry. Don't worry. Relax. Take a deep breath. Relax. Can I just encourage you to say, well, let's start somewhere. Give something proportionally, regularly. Even if it's like 1%. Yeah. Give, give what you can proportionally, regularly, by faith, trusting God, and over the course of time, increase it. And say, well, our goal is, in a portion of time, you know, so next time, if I get a wage rise, I'm not just going to say, oh, we can do that kitchen. <laughs> Actually, why don't I increase my giving to the Lord? And you'll be surprised how over the course of time you grow into the able to, not because you have to, but because you want to, copy the model of the great women and men of God who set an example of us, and you come into a freedom over it. And you will be surprised how faithful God is to you as well. And you'll have wonderful God stories to tell. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love that we're invited to receive and participate in. I thank you that you just don't leave it to our own wisdom and guessing and working it out how we should make it work, but you give wisdom to us to be able to appropriate into our lives. I want to thank you that you don't make it a law and a rule you don't hit us over the head with a sledgehammer. You don't whack us with a stick. And you don't squeeze us like a stone trying to get blood out of a stone. You understand where we are and you invite us onto a journey of growth in faith and in the privilege of being more Christ-like, of exercising a generosity that we first received from you. I want to thank you that this is how you treat us, with gentleness and invitation. And I pray that wherever we are on that journey, you will, with your gentle wisdom, take us forward to be more and more reflective of who you are individually and as a community, not just materially, but in attitude, in kindness, in patience, in forgiveness, in forbearance, in prayer, in joy and laughter, and generosity of heart, that has nothing to do with money <laughs> towards one another. We pray that you'll make us like your son individually and as a local church. Amen.